The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Thank you for singing. I, I hope you have had a fantastic morning so far. If you haven't, it's still early. You still have time to turn that around, but I'm glad you're here. Um, Merry Christmas. I think it's, it's not too, too, uh, too early to say that. Merry Christmas to everyone. Um, I'm grateful that you're here, grateful you're joining us online. If you have your Bibles, would you grab them? Open with me to 1 John 4. Easiest way to find 1 John, by the way, start at the end. And then slowly go back to your left, all right? First John 4, while you're getting there, a um, few things to get us started. We are now so close to Christmas, um, and we've been walking each week uh, through Advent, looking at one aspect of Advent. Believe it or not, we're already at week four. We've looked at hope and um, peace and joy, and today we get to light the fourth candle which is love. And I'm excited this morning to talk about love. And, and um, listen, a few things before we get started into our text, by the way. Just a few things. Uh, one is, is with every week, we have seen something together through, uh, through each of the elements of Advent. Um, and that is this, that the world is familiar with each of these things. And each of the weeks, we, we've seen that the world kind of offers its own version of hope and peace and joy. Um, it has its own version and, and, and offers kind of this more temporal solution or temporal alternative to each of these things. And, and one of the challenges for us during Advent has been to, to kind of identify what is true and what is the world's version and to kind of distinguish between these, these things. And, and the world has their counterfeit versions of these things. And, and wow, church, as we come into love, as we look at love this morning, um, it is easy to see that our world does, in fact, have a counterfeit version of love. Um, a, a lesser version of love. And if we are not careful, we could bring that counterfeit version into our understanding of, of when we read scripture, talk about love and the love of God and the love we have for each other. We can bring kind of that world version to bear on scripture. And, and, and we want to be careful to push against that this morning. We'll talk more about that. But the second thing here that I want to bring out is as we turn to love, we kind of had the exact opposite problem that we had with joy last week. The exact opposite problem. See, with joy, we talked about this. It's a little bit of a dated word. We don't walk around talking about joy all of that much. Now, the world loves joy. It's obsessed with joy still. We long for it. We just call it different things, gladness or happiness or what, what have you. Um, but we don't use the word joy very much. And so when we talk about joy here in this context, it might not bring other connotations other than churchy things. Let me tell you, love is the opposite problem. 
Love is one of the most common words in all of the English language, and it has a crazy wide range of meanings. Crazy wide range. I mean, just think about this, like, fill in the blank. Like, I love God. I love tacos. I love my wife. I love my family. I love my friend. I love my car. I love coffee. All of these things, love, 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 love. But I mean a very different thing. Very different thing, but it's the same word. Same exact word. Love is used for everything. In English, we have one word that just means everything, right? Um, Fortunately, though, as we turn into God's word and what it says about love, fortunately, the original language that your Bible was written in, especially New Testament that I'm talking about here, um, Koine Greek doesn't have the same problem as English does. See, in English, we have love, means everything. In Koine Greek, they, you have different words, meaning different aspects of the word love. Um, depending on how you look at it, there's at least seven or eight of them. In the New Testament alone, we see four different words that are translated as the four-letter word love in English. That's crazy. We have the love of a brother, the love of empathy, the romantic love We have all these things, but then we have one other word for love that we see all throughout the New Testament, and it is the Greek word agape. Agape is pure, unconditional, perfect. It's the love of God. It's the love that comes from God. It's the agape love. And here on this fourth week of Advent, I want to be very clear what we're talking about when we talk about love. We are talking about this love, the agape love. And although English leaves this up to interpretation, the scripture we're looking at today and the scriptures all throughout the New Testament use the word agape. Agape is what we're going to be talking about here. It's not a vague word. It's agape love. One more thing before we get into our text. Um, Love can be a little bit unique in the context of Advent. And here's what I mean by this. As we think about all the other elements, you think about hope, you think about peace, and you think about joy. Um, As we think about all of these things, Let's, let's start with hope, for example. So when you think about hope, what do you think about? Well, you think about the hope that we now have in Christ. We think about the hope that we have in Christ. When you think about peace, we think about the peace that we have now in Christ. We think about the peace that we have now and forever. When you think about joy, same thing. We think about the joy that we receive in Christ, the joy that we have in Christ. In each of these cases, what we think about in Advent is, is our experience because of Jesus. We, we think about our hope, our peace, our joy. What happens when we get to love? Something changes. If, if we're not careful, at least it can change. Now, sure, we think about you know, God's love, and we think about the agape love he showed us through Jesus, all of that's great. Um, but if we aren't careful, we stop there. And here's what ends up happening. Just real simply, we, we talk about our hope that we have, our peace that we have, our joy that we have, and the love that God has. See what happened? It's a weird week, isn't it? 
This one's a weird, this is a weird week. Please don't hear me wrong. God's love is awesome. We're going to talk about it. But I also want you to hear me. We're not going to stop there this morning. Because as we get to Advent, God's word calls us to not only consider the agape love of our God, but God's word also calls us to examine our own love as well. So buckle up this morning. There's a lot here that we have to look at. Fair warning, though, through this. This morning, we want to kind of get personal. We want to get personal as we think about the agape love of God and what Scripture calls us to, to have agape love toward one another. So we're going to get a little personal here. I hope you're okay with that. If not, I'm not real sorry, but I'm a little sorry. Um, but I pray that you, you hang with me because I think this message is important. I think this scripture is really important for us today. So um, let's do this. Would you join me in prayer as we turn our hearts now to the word of God in, in 1 John? God, we thank you for this day, for Advent. Thank you for hope. Thank you for peace. Thank you for joy. And God, thank you for love. This morning, I pray... I pray two things. First, God, I pray that we would see and know and better understand your perfect love, the love that you have shown us. And second, I pray that our love for you and for others would grow and that we would be able to better express and demonstrate and to show our love to you and to others. So God, would you speak to us this morning in the name of Jesus? Amen. Amen. All right. Let's dig in. Let's dig in. First John 4, we're going to start together in verse 9. In verse 9. This is the Apostle John that says this. Uh, he writes this. He says, in this, verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Church, let's not rush. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Meaning the love of God was made visible. It was demonstrated. The love of God, this thing that could be this theory out here, this thing that could be this kind of idea floating out here, something we read about, something we maybe study, this idea. No, it wasn't an idea. The love of God was not an idea. The love of God was made manifest, John says. And, and how? Well, he says in this, he says that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In other words, the nativity scene, church, the, uh, the scene that's so familiar this, this season, Jesus, manger, Mary, Joseph, the animals, the angels, um, the scene that we see all over the place today and yards across our community, that scene is a resounding demonstration of the love of God. The love of God made manifest. If you have ever doubted that God loves you, the nativity scene in your neighbor's yard says, here it is. Here it is. 
that God would send his only son into the world, that the love of God would put on flesh, that the love in the flesh, love made manifest. In this, John says, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. And maybe you're here, you're hearing this, and this is exactly what you need to hear this morning. And I fear that we might be tempted to rush because there's a lot here and say something like, okay, I get it, let's, let's go, Pastor. Um, but I feel like in so many ways it's my job this morning to say, let's sit, let's simmer, let's slow down through this because the love of your God was proven, made visible by Jesus coming to the earth. It was not theory, not an idea, not a hope. Church, his love for you is real. His love for you is real. It is fact. It is proven through Christ coming to the earth. And some of you might not feel this morning all that lovely. Some of you might not feel all that lovable this morning. And the reality is, is you're not. You're, you're not. And that's kind of the point of all this. That's kind of the point of, of all of this, that he did not wait for you to get lovely. He did not wait for you to be lovable before he loved you. He did not wait for you to demonstrate your love for him before he demonstrated his love for you. His love is agape love, unconditional love for you, and it is not based on your performance in any way. In this, the agape, the love, the agape of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. One more thing, by the way, before we move on, would you notice real quickly the pronouns here? Uh, the pronouns here, it's us and we. They're plural pronouns. He does not you use the pronoun you, but us and we, plural. And I love this because although the love of God is deeply personal, it is, it's deeply personal, it's also never private. And what I mean by this is it is a shared reality that we have in Christ. That, that you are not only invited into the agape love of God, just you, yourself, and Jesus, but scripture is so clear, you are also invited into the agape of the people of God. The, the people, the family of God. This is why we come together, church, like this. Because the reality is, you should, I mean, you should, in, in private, you should respond in gratitude for the love of God that he's shown for you. Uh, you should respond on a personal level. But church, oh, the joy in the privilege that we have. Oh, the joy and oh, the privilege that we can come together and we can respond in gratitude and worship for the love that he has shown us collectively. We are a loved people of God. And we are a part of that together. So personal, yes. Private, no. And in, in, in coming together like this, we collectively state, hey, this love is not earned. We're not the most lovable people, but his love is perfect. His love is perfect, the perfect agape love. So John continues. He says, in this is love. 
Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Church, again, for all of those who might in this moment today feel unlovely or unlovable, specifically for all of us who feel like our love for God is far from perfect. John says, I know. And that's the beauty of God's agape love for you. Not that we, John says, have loved God, but that he loved us. You know what I'm reminded of? I'm reminded of one of the sections in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In Luke 6, we read about Jesus talking about love, and, and I love this. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. He says, if you do good to those who only do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. In other words, it's easy. It's easy to love those who are easy to love, who love us back. It's easy. I mean, going back to what I said at the beginning, though, the world has a counterfeit version of hope and peace and joy. Church, this is the counterfeit version of the world's love. Love those who are easy to love. Love those who are lovable and lovely and who love you back. Love those who deserve it. Love those who are like us. Love those who are easy. You don't need Jesus to do that. You don't need Jesus to do that. The world loves like this. This is how the world loves. This is how the world shows love. It's conditional. It's based on performance. It's a love that is deserving. It's a love for those who love us. This is the world's version of love, and Jesus says even sinners do that. That's not agape. This is not the agape love of our God because John says not that we have loved God but that he loved us. To put this more bluntly, while we were enemies of God, while we were dead in our sins, while we did not love him, while we were dead in our sins, Christ came to this world. This is love. I had to say this again. God does not love you because you've earned it. And let me push this a little more. God does not love you because you will earn it later when you get it together. He's not like putting down an investment that one day it'll be worth it. That's not what love is. That's the world's love, not agape. You are loved by your God in Jesus Christ. You are created in the image of God. You are loved perfectly and completely through the work of Jesus Christ. You did not and you will not ever be able to earn the love of God. First, because you're a sinner. But second, because that's, the love of God is not something that can be earned. It, it, it can't. That's the world's understanding of love. And church, you and I, we're going to have to continually push against this, fight against this understanding of buying and kind of imposing the world's view of love on Scripture and on God's love. There are too many people, too many people who believe that the love of God is like the world's love, who feel like they can't earn it, 
They don't deserve it, and so they don't have it. There are too many people who believe that God loves like the world. But in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us, and listen to this, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The love of God put on flesh and took on action. How many know that it is one thing when someone says, hey, I love you, that's one thing, but it is a whole nother thing when someone demonstrates that love. When someone shows you their love, uh, something giving themselves completely selflessly for you, sacrificially for you. How about this? If someone dies for you, that's a whole nother thing. That's something else. That's more than just saying I love you. That is proving love. And church, this is what your God has done. God not only gave you his words, I love you, He not only told you by his words that he loves you, in Christ the word became flesh. I love you became flesh in Christ and dwelt among us. The love of God was demonstrated in the love of God, wrapped itself in flesh and dwelt among us. His love was demonstrated for you. God loves you not because you loved him first and God demonstrates his love for you, not because you demonstrated your love first. He demonstrated his love for you by sending his son for you to be the propitiation for your sins, meaning that Jesus was the gift that took away the wrath of God for all the sins of you, your life, past, present, future. It's never been about your loveliness, your lovableness, It's never been about that. It's been about the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And every time you see, by the way, a nativity scene, I I pray that it just reminds you. In fact, I encourage you. Here's my challenge for you. There's only a few days left of this, of Christmas. Whenever you see a nativity scene, whenever you see one, I want you to say to yourself, God loves me, and God showed his love for me by sending Jesus. It's the simplest thing you can do. Every time you see one, just say it. And I just want to read this again. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, so far, this has all been about God's love for you. The love that God has shown us. And hear me, we must start there. But we must see this. We must start here. But we can't stop here. It's time now to shift and to examine our own love. Just as we looked at our hope and our peace and our joy, it's time to look at our own love. And that's exactly what John is going to do in this text. Listen to this, church. Beloved, if God so loved us, and remember, this isn't something up for debate here. 
Uh, Remember, this is coming right off of John telling us God does love you, and that was proven, that was made manifest. So when you see this, this is kind of this if-then statement. This is a rhetorical if-then. He's already proven the, the if. Now it's time for us to move into the then. So if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There's the then statement. We also ought to love one another. So if our God loves us, which he does, we also ought to love one another. Um, Okay, first, uh, quick clarification here. Order matters. Notice that this verse does not say, if you love one another, then God will love you. Order matters. Don't flip it. Do not flip it. That would be earned love, not agape love. We do not love each other to get love. We love each other because we are loved. We love each other from a place of love, not to earn it. That's the first thing. Second, I think there is a tremendous danger and temptation that we have to hold everyone accountable to standards that we ourselves fail. To forget that we are loved by the grace of God, that we cannot earn it. We forget that we're not all that lovely, we're not all that lovable, and, 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 but we're shown the love of God. We're given the love of God while we were dead in our sins. And what can happen is we can enjoy that love while not showing love. We can enjoy the grace while not giving grace to those in our lives. In church, that is not what our God has called us to. In fact, um, with the time that we have left, here's what I want us to do. Uh, I'd like to draw our attention to a story, a parable that Jesus taught. And the reason I want to do this is because I think this parable is the parable that expresses 1 John 4, 9 through 11 perfectly. It's a... uh, It's a parable of the beautiful picture of love, and with that, a very hard warning. You don't need to turn with me here, but if you'd like to, I invite you to. It's in Luke 15. Luke 15. um, This is a parable that is called the prodigal son. And um, it's really, though, a parable of two sons. Two sons, and it's a parable of love. Listen to this. Verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now that is, uh, whew, that's bold. That's bold. Um, and he, that is his father, divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he left. Took a journey out to the country, and he squandered it all. He just blasted it all in, in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, Jesus says, there was a famine that arose, and it hurt um, he began to be in need. So, so he did what only he could do, and he found, he, he went and hired himself to one of the citizens of that country, Jesus says, who sent him to work in the fields to feed pigs. And the dude was so hungry. This is my version. He was so hungry, 
he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. That's gross. Super gross. That's desperate. But no one would give him anything. That's even worse. Even worse. And when he came to himself, Jesus said, he thought, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but yet I'm here not even getting pods, about to die here in hunger. I will get up, I'm going to rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The younger son was broken. He realized his brokenness. There's nothing lovable or lovely about a dude wallowing in mud looking for pig food. He was coming back not with any sense of entitlement at all. He was coming back broken. Broken completely because of all that he had done. And in a sense, as he was coming back, you know what he was relying on? Father, would you please have mercy? I stink. Would you please have mercy? And he arose, Jesus said, came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and he felt compassion and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And at this point, church, anyone who has ever experienced brokenness, it's hard not to just, when you put yourself here, kind of get choked up because the father was looking for him a long way off and runs to him in compassion and mercy and love and the father embraces him and the father says, son, son, he kisses him and the son says to the father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. What a glimpse of our own condition, church. I am not worthy. I'm not here because I'm worthy. I am here because I am broken. And I'm crying out for your mercy and for your grace. Church, that is a picture of a sinner coming to Christ. It's nothing I've earned. I'm not worthy. The story continues. But the father, in response to this, says to all his servants, please quickly bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, put shoes on his feet, treat him as a son. He is my son. Bring the fattest calf, kill it, and let's eat. Let's throw a party. Let's celebrate. For my son was dead. He is now alive. He was lost, and now he is found. Let's party. What a picture of agape. What a picture of salvation. What a picture of coming to Jesus. What a picture of God's great love for us. And you know what? Jesus could have ended the story right there. Period. The end. But again, this is not a parable of one son, but of two. Now, his older son was in the field. When he came, he drew near to the house. He heard the music. He heard the dancing. He heard the party. It was crazy. 
And he called one of the servants and said, what is going on? The servant said, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf and because he has received him back safe and sound. But the brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and treated him, but, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you, I never did that. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a goat <laughs> that I might celebrate with my friends. Got to have a whine as you, when you read this. Um, but when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fat calf for him. I believe that everyone who comes to Christ can and should, can and should put ourselves in the shoes of the younger brother. We come to our father just like the younger brother. It's a wonderful picture of salvation. But for all of us who have been saved by grace, Unfortunately, too often, we resemble the older brother. Look at me. I deserve way more than him. I've, you know, I, I'm not saying I earned it all, but I've earned more than that dude. Like, um, I, I, I wasn't out there gallivanting around like that guy. I mean, doesn't that give me some kudos? Doesn't it give me something? And yet you celebrate this heathen? You celebrate him? Do you hear it? The older brother here kind of lets out. He's, he's, he's kind of moved from grace to entitlement is what has happened here. Grace to entitlement. Love became earned. Agape love was exchanged for the world's version of love. The love that he was shown by the father was now being denied to the brother. And this, is this not exactly what we can do? I believe the prodigal son is the perfect example of 1 John 4 of our text today where we see so beautifully and clearly the picture of the love of the father, agape love that was shown to this younger son. Yet at the same time, we see so clearly the failure of the brother to show the agape love to one another. It's a cautionary tale. Listen, our community today is so divided. We have us versus them on just about every single thing in life right now. Um, there is a lot of reasons. There are a lot of reasons why others have not earned your love. They don't deserve your love. But hear me, all of you previous prodigals, the call for you now is to love the incoming prodigals. See, it's easy to justify why they don't deserve to be loved, but the truth is they don't deserve to be loved and neither do you. Your call is to love. You are to love those who do not yet know Jesus by proclaiming the good news of Jesus and, and loving the unlovable. And you are to love those who claim they do follow Jesus 
your own brothers and sisters by proclaiming the good news of Jesus and loving the unlovable. Let me tell you, it's sometimes harder to love those in here, your own family, than it is to love those out there. Our call is to love. How countercultural is that? How countercultural is that? Our, cur- our culture devours each other, destroys those who, with whom we disagree, and we justify our slander. We justify saying awful things about each other. That's what the world does. You and I, brothers and sisters, are not called to bring that into this church, to bring it into the church. Specifically, church, we, cannot, we can't bring it into here. Now, I, I want to be very careful here because here's what I'm not saying. I am not saying that we will never have to speak difficult truths to each other. Anyone who has ever been in a truly loving relationship knows that it is often in these loving relationships when we are actually able to speak the truth in love. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is we are called to be more than the older brother in the prodigal son parable. We are called to love, to agape love, and this is not optional, church. This is our distinctive. As we close, I want to remind us of the words of Jesus um, because Jesus says, hey, 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 disciples, this is how you're going to be known. If you remember, Jesus says this so clearly in John's gospel in John 15, he says this to his followers, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. They're going to know that you're mine. They're going to know that you're mine because of the love you have for one another. The world will know you, brother and sister. The world will know you by your love. Because the love that you have is not the same love that the world has. When we love like the world, we look like the world. And we fail to point people to Jesus the way that we should. But when we love with the agape love of our God, we no longer love like the world And the world will see that and be drawn to Jesus. This Christmas, church, how can you show the love of God? How can you show the love of God? How can you show love to the truly unlovable people in your life? I know you have them. How can you show love like this? Maybe you're hearing this, and right now in this moment, you think about someone And you need to confess and to repent and to ask forgiveness. Do it. Maybe you're here and and you need to be the weirdo on Facebook. You need to see the slander going on and not be the one who dives down into the hole but steps in in love. I guarantee you will stick out. And when you do stick out, by the way, be, be ready to tell them why you stick out. How can you show love? How can you then give them the reason why? This Christmas, I pray that 
we will not only see and experience the love of God through Jesus coming, but that we will be instruments of his love, to love like Christ's love. And hear me, we love like Jesus because we have been loved by Jesus. Let me say this again. We love like Jesus because we have been loved by Jesus. That is our call this morning. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your love that you have demonstrated and made proven, made clear through the sending of your son. Thank you for your love. This morning, I pray for all my brothers and sisters who do not feel loved or like they have earned that love. I pray that even in this moment that you just, through your spirit, bring to mind the picture of the prodigal son. That the younger son did not clean up before running to his father and being embraced. But that we come in all of our honest brokenness to be embraced by a God of mercy and love, agape love. I also pray for for all of us right now that we would be beacons of your love to those in our life, to those even who don't deserve it, to those even who are very difficult to love, that you would use us to love one another. And that as we do that, that we will then draw our community to to you and that we will be able to give a reason for the love that is so foreign to the world around us. God, this week we focus on love. Would you send us out now as your beacons in Jesus' name? Amen.